1: Word is about to come forth tonight. We thank you, Lord, that the people who have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that can believe and receive. Thank you, Lord, that I'll speak the meditations of my heart and I'll say only things that are pleasing to you. I thank you, Father, that I'll preach your word tonight boldly and with clarity and simplicity and most of all with accuracy. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Good evening, Facebook family. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad you could be with us tonight. Uh, we're going to continue our teaching out of Brother Hagen's book, The Authority of the Believer or the Believer's Authority. And I believe this is part five. And We're going to start out tonight in the book of Colossians. And uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And we're going to start out in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And although the Apostle Paul uses slightly different words, he's saying basically the same things that he's said in our previous studies in the book of Ephesians. They're pretty much alike in what he has to say. And uh, he doesn't preach a new or different message to the Colossians. He just pretty much conveys the same message that we've been studying in Ephesians, except that he just uses different words here and there. Uh, In other words, we can climb a mountain, and if we go up this side, we see one thing. we we'll go up the other side, we see a different view. So that's what he's doing here. And uh, so in Colossians 1.15, it says, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, let's go quickly to the second chapter of Colossians, where we'll see that Christ was quickened or made alive by God the Father. In Colossians 2.12, it says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, Who raised Christ from the dead you were dead because of your sins Uh, I think it's in Romans he said we're dead in trespasses and sins he said you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away in other words you weren't born again yet Uh, you hadn't confessed Christ yet then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Praise the Lord. Verse 12 says we were raised with Christ through the mighty power of God. And notice it was God the Father who did this work. Verse 12. 13 tells us that God at the same time he made us alive with Christ, he also forgave our sins. Hallelujah. That's what I call a double whammy. We got two things to at once. Praise the Lord. He made us alive and then he forgave all of our sins. That's like going to McDonald's and finding out they got sausage eggs, and cheese biscuits, two for the price of one. Double whammy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when Jesus, the righteous, yielded to death, you know, he, he could have refused to die anytime he wanted to. He could have said, I had enough. I'm going back to heaven. Everybody's going to hell. That's the end of the story. But he didn't. He yielded to death. Yes. Nobody could take his life. He yielded it. He gave his life. And uh, the bond of the law, the Ten Commandments, the things that we were in bondage to, was paid. And the Father then blotted out the broken laws and commandments which had stood between him and us. He nailed them, canceled them, and nailed them to the cross mm-hmm. of Christ. Yes. Hallelujah. That's like making a declaration like Martin Luther did. He took the, the, the thesis, the ninety-six thesis document, and he nailed it to the door of the Wittenberg Church. He made a proclamation and a declaration. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus did with the law. He fulfilled it. Nailed it to the cross and proclaimed it. It was fulfilled. Praise the Lord. Amen. So Paul's saying here in Colossians that it was God the Father who formed the plan of redemption. It was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. It was God the Father who gave him a name that is above every name, not only in in the earth, but also in, in the world. And it was God the Father who spoiled the demonic principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. He shamed them openly. And we know that death is the penalty for sin. Amen? So when Christ bore the world's guilt on the cross, the satanic powers of the air sought to exercise their rights and hold him under their power. When Jesus died on the cross, And his spirit went to hell in our place because, you know, when you when you're going to defeat an enemy, it's always best to go into the enemy's country, the enemy's territory, defeat him on his own ground. I mean, why destroy your cities and everything? Go destroy their cities, destroy everything that he built. Amen. And so Jesus didn't wait for him to bring the battle to him. He took it to the devil in the bowels of hell. And so the Bible says that Satan had the power of death, but Jesus conquered him. And we have proof of that in Revelation 118. He says, I am he, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And then he says, I have the keys to death and hell. In other words, I have the keys to the grave and hell. And... and uh, so Jesus took the keys away from the devil. Hallelujah. Yes, and then uh, I want you to know the keys represent ownership and authority. I got car keys not in my pocket but in the office there. I got car keys to a car that I own and I have authority over that car. Same with my house. I have keys to a house that Pastor Ed and I own and, and we have <laughs> keys to it because we have authority over that house. We Determine who's coming in, who's going out, what's allowed, what ain't allowed, because it's our house. We have the authority over it. It's just like with my car. I can uh, drive until the wheels fall off. I can change the oil, not change the oil. I can uh, drive it off a bridge. I can give it away. I can do anything I want with it because I'm in charge of it. I have authority over that vehicle, and uh, I have power to do whatever I want with that car. It's represented by keys keys open and close things they lock or unlock things so keys to death and hell are very important and the devil had them for a long time until jesus defeated him and snatched the keys off his key belt amen, amen. amen. that's shouting ground right there hallelujah right. but we got to remember that physical death is not of god it's of the devil that's the devil's job and death According to the Bible, it is still an enemy, mm-hmm. and the Bible says it's the last enemy that we will be putting under foot. And thank God, that day is coming, and it's coming soon. But whose foot is it going under? The body of Christ. Uh, the feet are on the body. The head's in heaven. The body is in the earth, and we're going to put death under our feet. Hallelujah! Yes. Hallelujah. Through the power and authority of of jesus christ and the keys that he took and now possesses, and uh but we don't have a new body yet i mean once we put death underfoot we're going to have a new body and there's people that, that want to live forever on the earth right now in the flesh just the way that things are and always pursuing but never finding the elusive uh of youth. They're looking for that classic surgery that's going to make them look younger, feel younger. They're looking for that magic supplement, that magic pill, that, that new diet, that whatever, this therapy or whatever supplement is going to make them stay young longer. They, they're constantly seeking to stay young and not get old. And they don't think they're going to die uh, or they, they want to live forever in this flesh, but none of them ever have, and none of them, none of them ever will the way that they're thinking. Uh, There's only one way you're going to live forever, and that's, or have eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. Only way. And, you know, uh, we're all going to live eternally. Our destinations are going to be different. We determine that right here and now. You will have an eternal, you will live eternally. I keep saying eternal life, but actually eternal life is a quality of life. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will never enjoy that quality of life that he's talking about uh, that abundant life. And, uh, but you will live forever with or without Jesus. You either live in heaven or you live in hell, but you will live forever. These bodies were made eternally. Amen. And so, uh, eternal life is found. Like I said, only in Jesus. i want to make that clear nowhere else. But it's not going to be in this present body. Thank God. I got a few kinks in this body, a couple problems with this body. But I'm not going to live forever in this body. I'm going to have a new body. It's going to look like this one. It's going to be just as handsome and fit as this one is. But it's going to be new. Hallelujah. No aches and pains. No nothing wrong with it. Hallelujah. So, uh. The Bible tells us it will be changed when Jesus comes to catch the church away in the rapture. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 56, if you wanna know anything about resurrection life, the afterlife, this is the chapter you wanna study. But Paul says in verse 51 of chapter 15, behold, I show you a mystery or a secret. We shall not all sleep, which means death, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed or transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, transformed to life, and we, the ones that are still alive, shall be changed or transformed as well. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I like what the New Living Translation says of verse uh, 53. It says, For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then verse 54 says so, When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So in other words, when Jesus returns, the graves are going to be emptied out. And these bodies that are alive at the time are going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And in verse 56, it says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's a mouthful right there. But some people believe that the rapture will occur in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, but it's not talking about the rapture, it's talking about us being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know how quick the twinkling of an eye is, but it's like when the light catches your eye a certain way and it just throws that spark or something, that's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's how fast we're gonna be raised from the dead if you went on before us, uh, before Jesus comes or we'll be changed in our physical bodies that are living at the time Jesus comes. Yes. Either way, who cares? We're we coming out of the grave or we'll be changed right here. Amen. Amen. And uh, let's look at what, describe, uh, what I describe as a companion scripture to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, and that's 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. It's still talking about the same thing. Paul says again, I will not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep or those that have died That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope If you don't know Jesus Christ, you have no hope of a resurrection unto eternal life You'll be resurrected, but it won't be to eternal life It'll be if you will live for eternity, but you won't enjoy that quality of life and so Uh, He says that not even as others which have no hope. So what's our hope? It's the hope of a resurrection. Hallelujah. I mean, if this is all there is, there's there's nothing to look forward to. I mean, that would be depressing. You you know, hope gives you something to look forward to. And it causes an excitement like children on Christmas Eve. They got so much hope and you know, they're all excited, Why? Because Santa Claus is coming at midnight and then they'll get up in the morning and open all their presents. That's a hope. And, And you know, without something to look forward to, we have no hope. So we need something to look forward to. And the resurrection to eternal bodies is something to look forward to. Verse 14 says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in other words, you're born again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, or have died as a Christian, have died in Jesus, will God bring with him. So when the rapture occurs and Jesus returns to the atmosphere over us, he's not touching down on earth. He's gonna, we're going to meet him in the air. When he returns, all those that died and went to heaven before us are coming with him. And then we'll meet him in the air, and it's going to be a glorious reunion in the air. Amen? And so he says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. In other words, you can take this to the bank, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord uh, are still alive when the Lord comes. Those are the ones that won't taste death. Those are the ones that would be saying, Oh, death, na-na-na-na-na, where's your sting? Because you didn't kill me. Amen. Amen. And it says, Shall not prevent them which are asleep, in other words, they won't be raptured before the dead arise and come out of the graves. And then it says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They get a head start over us. After all, they had to die. They have to taste death. So God is going to honor that, and they'll get a head start over us verse 17 says then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord and then he says wherefore comfort one another with these words now that's that's a small verse there uh, in in verse 18 wherefore comfort one another with these words but it's it's really in what it's saying because we can be comforted by what he's going to do when he returns. And another thing is a lot of people believe that we have to go through the tribulation period and go through the hell that's going to be here on the earth. Uh, and I don't believe that's true. We're uh, pre-trib, we believe in a pre-trib, rapture, in other words, before the tribulation because one of the reasons because this verse says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It wouldn't be very comforting if we had to go through any part of the tribulation period would it so it's comforting to me to know that i don't have to have part in the tribulation period the hell is going to be on this earth for seven years after the rapture of the church and so when jesus comes for the church to take us to heaven those in the grave that uh, died before us they'll be risen first and their bodies will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And I know people are thinking right now, well, what happened if he died at sea and the sharks ate his body and his bones and everything? And what if his, he died in the desert and his, uh, he turned to dust and blew away in the wind? God only needs one molecule from that body. And he knows where every molecule of that body is. Yes. You count, if you can number the hairs on your head, yes. let me tell you something. The creator knows every one of your molecules and atoms and whatever is smaller than the atom. And he knows exactly where all of them are. Yes. And all he'll need is one to give you a brand new body. Yes. Yes. Amen. So we don't have to know the science of this thing. But I'm just going to tell you, this is where your faith comes in and you trust in God. If he said he'll raise you, he'll raise you. Whether there's anything left in you, and you're all dust or anything, it don't make Amen. any difference. And you'll have a body much like the body you have. Paul says we'll be known even as we are. In other words, you're going to look like you are mm-hmm. right now. Ethan's going to look like Ethan. I'm going to look like Brother Mike, Brother Daryl Shannon's going to look like that. Except we'll be perfect bodies yeah. in the prime of life. Jesus was resurrected at the age of 33. I'll tell you what, what I wouldn't give to would be 33. <laughs> Amen. That's the prime of life, isn't it? I mean, everything still works, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. So we'll be in the prime of life when we're raised with that new body, that immortal body. And uh, the body of us who are alive at the time of the rapture will be changed and become immortal, just like those that were raised from the dead. And until then, we only have a limited power over death. Some of us still have to die. But after Christ stripped the demonic powers of the authority that had been theirs, the devil and his cohorts, the Bible said in Colossians 2.15, he made a show of them openly. He let everybody know in all three realms, uh, uh, hell, earth, and heaven, that he had stripped the devil of his powers And he's probably dangling them keys and saying, I got the keys, fellas, I got the keys. So Paul's statement here refers to the fact that Christ was elevated far above principalities and powers and might and dominion, far above his enemies, and he was elevated to the place alongside of God the Father on the right hand of the throne. And he writes about that in the book of Ephesians, as we've studied in previous lessons, And again, Paul is stressing the father's work in the overthrow of satanic powers and the defeat of Satan himself. God was involved, Jesus was involved, and the Holy Ghost was involved. You know, God gave the word. Jesus is laying down there in hell, probably on a slab, and you know, they were all marching around him and celebrating, we finally killed him. He's dead, we won, and he lost, and all of this. And, and after his sacrifice was accepted in the heavenly holy of Holy, God said to the Holy Spirit, He's innocent. I proclaim him righteous. Go down there and raise him up. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. And the Bible said that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So I know it was yeah. the spirit that raised him from the dead. Yes. But it was at the word of the Father that the Father declared him righteous, not guilty, innocent. It wasn't his sin that he died for. It was our sin. Yes. Amen. And he said, go get it. And I'm telling you, the party ended when that when the Holy Ghost went down there into the bowels of hell, raised Jesus from the dead. They got scared then. They said, uh-oh, party's over. Yes. Amen. And Jesus just started looking for the devil. Mm-hmm. When he got a hold of him, he put his foot on his neck and took the keys of death and hell away from them. I, I get excited about that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but this is precisely what Paul's trying to teach us here in Ephesians and Colossians. This is where the church world as a whole has really failed because we fail to understand the authority that's in Christ, the supreme head of the church and we're his body. And, and uh, uh we fail to understand that the head is totally dependent on the body for carrying out, that's why he used the analogy of a body, for carrying out his plans, and that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Mm-hmm. We're seated with him, the place of authority. And uh, we have to exercise that authority over the powers of the air, principalities and powers and mights and dominions that are operating down here in the earth we have to exercise that authority as his body mm-hmm. amen. amen now we can't do it apart from him and he can't do it apart from us and uh, uh we can understand as never before what he meant when he said whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven according to matthew 18 18. and that's jesus using his authority upon the earth he said if it's something that is unlawful in heaven and you declare it to be unlawful in the earth it will be so amen Amen. if it's something that is authorized or lawful in heaven and you declare it to be lawful on earth it will be so that's the type of authority we have of course we can't exercise authority in some crazy area In other words, it's not even uh, biblical according to the word. It's not something that Jesus would sanction in heaven. We have to make sure that when we're exercising authority, it's according to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Not according to your crazy schemes and ideas of what you think should be right. But we have to check the word. Do I have authority in the area of healing? Yes, I do. I proclaim healing in my body because it's it's, uh, lawful in heaven and it's lawful down here, I declare it. Yes. And sickness and disease is unlawful in heaven, but it's unlawful down here. I declare it to be unlawful down here. If it ain't operating in heaven, I'm not letting it operate down here. Amen.
0: Amen. That's the
1: attitude and the mindset that we have to have. And, you know, a few of us get a little glimpse of that authority once in a while. But some of us have uh, just stumbled upon it, exercised it without even realizing it uh, until we've seen that it work. And the thing that got Brother Hayden started studying on this subject, he said, was when he asked himself this question, do we have authority that we don't know we have? And that was the question he asked God. And so he began to study the subject. uh, And a lot of other books came from this uh, study as well. But this is the one that we're studying out of right now. The authority of the believer came out of that question that he asked. And he learned that we do have authority, praise the Lord. And he also discovered that heaven will back us on whatever we deny down here, according to the word. And whatever we allow down here, according to the word, heaven will back us on that as well. Yes. So we need to know the word, right? And we've allowed a lot of things, but we just haven't exercised our authority. We've allowed a lot of things to happen in our lives that we should have never allowed because we didn't realize that we had authority over it amen Amen. and that's why things are as they are a lot of times and we haven't done anything about the situation because we're waiting on god to do something and god's waiting on us to do something god is waiting on us to speak the word he's waiting on us to exercise our authority and then go back in heaven. yes amen amen so you know uh, Jesus said in Matthew 11 23 or 24 that we have what we say yes. if you ain't saying nothing you're not going to have nothing That's right. amen, amen. amen. Uh, if you're not holding your hand up and saying stop in the name of Jesus those things ain't going to stop that are coming against you mm-hmm. <laughs> brother Hagan said there were times when he had been praying about a loved one that was near death and the Lord said to him, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And this was a lesson for Brother Hayden to learn and then teach us and pass on to us. And in one instant, he asked the Lord to give someone a few more years. And, you know, my wife and I have done this many times. Uh, we've done it with family members, church members. We've done it at bedsides. I can tell you stories of times we went up to the hospital. Uh, I have one instance in mind uh, where this woman was on her deathbed. She was in her early 70s, a young woman, on her deathbed. Doctors had given up hope on her. And we go up there and we're standing in the hallway because the room was kind of crowded, people paying their last respects and stuff. And uh, the Lord told us to pray over her and declare life. And uh, we actually had to tell people that were speaking wrong words in the room. They were speaking death, you know, uh, making funeral arrangements in the hospital room. Uh, She was, I don't know if she could hear what was going on. She was out of it, not in a coma, but just on, on medication and stuff. And we asked everybody to leave the room. You know, Jesus did that with the little girl he raised because there was so much doubt and unbelief in the room, he had to get the room clear. So we asked everybody to leave the room so we could pray for her and they left the room. We took her by the hand and we declared life over her. We said, you shall live and not die. You shall live and declare the works of the Lord. You're not finished down here yet. You still have a work to do. And then we said, you've got a grandbaby coming because her daughter was pregnant at the time. We said, You've got a grandbaby coming. Do you want to see that grandbaby come? Do you want to hold that grandbaby in your lap and love on it? And she turned real slow and she went like this. <laughs> she started coming to life. The next day she was sitting up eating. The same woman that that everybody gave up for dead. She was sitting up eating. About a few days later, she walked out of that hospital. She lived at least another ten years. Amen. Hallelujah. So we know what it's like to do that. Uh, And like I said, we've done it for our family members, church members, uh, friends and loved ones. We've been to the hospital many times when it didn't look good for people. And and we got them some more time by asking the Lord for it. Amen. And Brother Hagen said the Lord replied that he would do it just because he had asked him to. The Lord told him, no earthly father desires to do more for his children than i do if my children would just lit me mm-hmm. and some people think that god's a tyrant sitting on his throne with this giant fly swatter waiting for somebody to mess up so he just smack him with it i used to think like that when i was young i told you that before Except it wasn't a fly swatter i thought he had a baseball bat and that was my view of god i just didn't know god amen I just knew that He was waiting for me to mess up so He could pop me in the head with that big spiritual baseball bat. But when I learned who God really was and how much He loved me and that He was a a loving Heavenly Father that cared for me deeply, then I started seeing Him in a different light. But you know, a lot of times uh, our image of God or our Uh, how we perceive God is the way that we perceive our earthly fathers. I mean, if you had a mean earthly father, and I didn't. I had a good earthly father. He was a good provider. He wasn't very loving. I I know he loved me, but he had a hard time expressing it. And when I grew up, I was the same way. I I loved my kids. I had a hard time expressing it until I really come to know Jesus, and then I realized how much God loved me, and how much I should love my children, and all that changed. But Normally, we'll just view God the way we view our earthly father. And if our earthly father mistreats us, we think God will mistreat us. If he uh, didn't love us, we think God won't love us. And all that has to change. And it changes by you spending time in the word and learning who God really is. He's a loving heavenly father. Amen? Amen. He was a God of judgment to the Old Testament saints. They had a a fear of God that we don't have to have. Uh, they had a fear of God as being a judge and punishing them. but And he was never mentioned as a, fa- a Heavenly Father to the Old Testament saints. He was introduced by Jesus as our Heavenly Father in the New Testament. Yes. Or in, it was still Old Testament time, but Jesus introduced him as God the Father, not God the Judge. So much as it was in the Old Testament. And so uh, it's different now than it was back then. God had to tell them, had to show them and teach them what it was like living under the law. But now we don't live under the law. We live under one law, and it's the law of love. And so if we walk in love, we fulfill all the law. And and we're taught to look at him as a heavenly father. Yes. What is the, the, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us? Our father who are in heaven mm-hmm. that's the first thing he taught us in prayer is you're praying to your heavenly father yes yes, he's God but he's God the father yes. and so he loves you like a father so brother Hayden found that out and uh, James said we have not because we ask not and, and uh, if we're not asking it might be because we don't think that we have the authority or we have the right to ask him Jesus gave us that right. He made us righteous. He said we cannot not just come to the throne of grace in our time of need, but we can come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need. Amen? Amen. Why? Because he's our daddy. And, you know, if your daddy is a big executive in a, a big corporation, he's got an office in the ivory tower, You have there's protocol. You have to have an appointment to see him. You just don't walk into his office, but I bet you his kids can go busting in there anytime they want. Yes. Why? Because they have the authority to. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is teaching us. You've got the authority because you're my child. Amen. I gave you authority to do that. And Pastorette, a lot of times in prayer, she'll get in the spirit and she'll vision herself running up to the throne and jumping on her daddy's lap, saying, Daddy, daddy, I need something. i got to ask you something, you know? And that's the attitude God wants us to have. Except you be as these little children, be converted as little children, you'll in no wise see the kingdom of God. So we need to be like little children. And that means he's our father. Amen? Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. I got a long way to go and a little time to get there. But the Lord is hindered in his plans because his body has failed to appreciate the exaltation of his son Jesus Christ and we're received with him at the right hand of the Father. So we got a part to play in this and, and we have to cooperate with the Lord, cooperate with the word, and we have to do it in faith. And when we do that, things will begin to happen for us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us when we were born again would guide us into all truth. You remember that from Sunday? I talked about that. Uh, Brother Hagin told this story. He said a preacher once picked up a Bible, threw it to the floor, and declared that he didn't need it anymore because he had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would lead him into all truth and teach him everything. Mm-hmm. And Brother Hagin told him, but you do need the Bible because you can't follow the Holy Spirit into truth without it. See, when you get out beyond the written word of God, You're getting out too far. Brother Hayden cautions us, stay with the word. And I'm telling you, that's some good advice. And, and, you know, the word of God is from the spirit of God. The Bible says holy men of old wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The word of God is of utmost importance. To God, the word is more important than anything. The psalmist said in 132 and 2, That God said he has magnified his word even above his name. You know how powerful the name of Jesus is, how powerful the name of God is. God has exalted his word even above his name. His word is more important than his name. So the word of God uh, is important, but you'll never understand it with your head. That guy that threw his Bible on the floor was thinking out of his head with his little peanut brain and trying to understand God with, uh, with his head rather than his heart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither does he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you can't understand nothing about God, including his word, unless you have the Spirit discerning it for you. I like the way the Amplified puts that verse. It says, but the natural, non-spiritual man, that's who that guy was that threw his Bible on the floor, does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, meaningless nonsense to him, and he is incapable of knowing them, of progressively recognizing, understanding, and becoming better acquainted with them, because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. There is no way that you understand the Word of God at face value without the Spirit discerning it for you and giving you revelation of it. The more time you spend in the Spirit, the more revelation you'll have in the Word. And we really can't understand anything about God without the Holy Spirit, but we shouldn't put the Spirit above the Word. Like I said, He magnifies his word above even his name, and that includes above the spirit of God. So if we put the word first and the spirit second, we'll be safe. Amen. Amen. So we have to continually be arrayed with the spiritual armor of God. (coughs) Excuse me. We peaked at it the other day, but in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do I do that, Paul? By putting on the whole armor of God, not just parts of it, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the devices of the devil. So the Christian who puts on his armor and engages in spiritual warfare is marked. And by spiritual warfare, I mean doing the works of Jesus, taking our authority over the devil as we go about our daily lives. We have authority over our lives. Amen. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, God's in control of my life. No, he ain't, because it wouldn't be in the mess that it's in if he was. Amen. 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 You're in control of your life. Yes. He's given you the word to guide your life. He gave you the spirit to guide your life and lead you into all truth. But you have to yield to it, just like Jesus had to yield to the things he yielded to, up to and including death. So the devil will do everything in his power to keep you from coming into the knowledge of the authority over him. I mean, he'll fight you more over this than any other subject in the Bible. He'll fight you more over this than he will over salvation or any other doctrine of Christ. Because he knows once you learn the authority that you have, he's not going to knock you around like he's been doing all these years. He'll know that you understand that you have the authority over him. He knows that you understand the authority in the name of Jesus when you mention it. In the blood of Jesus when you plead it. He knows he don't want no part of that. I'm not saying he'll never mess with you again. He's gonna try and try and try until he gets you to drop your guard, and then he's gonna take advantage of you. Uh, I'm gonna have to wrap it up here. I got about four more pages of notes. I didn't want to go much more than 30 minutes, but I'm probably gonna go a few minutes more. I'm gonna I'm close with this. A man once came to Brother Hagin in a meeting where he was preaching on the authority of the believer, much like I'm doing right now, and uh, told him that this doesn't work for him. And uh, we've had people tell us things like that about the word, you know, uh, I, well, I've been trying, I tried tithing, but it didn't work for me. I tried this, I tried healing, I was quoting healing scriptures, but I, I didn't get healed. I didn't get well, you know. And Brother told, Hagen told him, if it doesn't work, then God is a liar. I know that sounds awkward, but that's the way Brother Hagen was, you know. Uh, because this man, in in essence, was calling God a liar. If God says uh, healing is for you and it's for today, and you say it doesn't work, then Either God's a liar or you're a liar. Guess who I'm voting for? <laughs> if you say that tithing doesn't work, either God's a liar or you're a liar. Yes. Guess who I'm voting for? Yes. Amen. So I'm telling you, the word is true that every man be a liar, right? Amen. So Brother Hayden kind of told him that. And uh, he said, if God's word doesn't work, it's because you're not working it. I say the same thing. If God's word isn't working, we're not working it.
0: Yes, amen.
1: And, you know, we may fail, but God's word will never fail. God's word is always true. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the word that's come forth. I pray, God, has touched somebody's heart tonight. I pray that it took root in a, a fertile heart and is starting to produce some root and some sprouting And it's going to grow and bring forth fruit a hundredfold in their life. I pray that they get a hold of this revelation, start walking in it, start discerning the word by the spirit, and then start doing the word that they're learning. I thank you and I praise you for the results of it. I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, like we prayed right before we went on the Facebook live, that you touch and heal each and every one that's suffering from any kind of sickness or disease especially from covid we curse that disease to its very root we declare it to be unlawful on earth because it is unlawful in heaven and lord you told us in the word that if we declare something on earth that's been declared in heaven you'll back us so god we ask you to back us on this we are cursing COVID 19, especially in the people that are within the yes. sound of my voice right now. Yes. If they're suffering with it, struggling yes. with it, fighting with it, the fight is over. You win. Hallelujah. Yes. You're whipping this disease because yes. we're declaring that virus to die in you right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Behold, in Jesus' name. Yes. Father, we thank you and praise you that the word is true. You said you sent your word and healed them all. We send your word tonight in the name of Jesus to heal them all. We thank you and praise you for it. Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday.
0: This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember Jesus is Lord.